IntelliKey Leadership Stories, the podcast for conscious leaders. We share the lessons learned from global leaders making an impact for their organizations, stakeholders, and investors. For people, community, and environment, we get inspired by their experiences, attitudes, and practices. Here are your hosts for IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, IntelliKey Leadership Stories. This is the podcast for conscious leaders. And Kirsten, we've talked to so many great guests about the environment and investment and you know putting profit and planet at the forefront of their leadership. And I guess today it's going to be fun to talk about our own personal environments and the physical and mental balance we have to have as leaders. That's right. Yeah, I'm excited about this guest. You know, she comes equipped with both an economic background, a political background, as you and I highlighted in our discussion, backroom discussions, our green room <laughs> discussions, right? But also really um, carries the embodiment of self and then how to take embodiment of self out into the public and support others to have the same experience. So can't wait to hear the combination of all of this. Well, fantastic. Well, let's introduce CEO and founder Gita Sidhu Rob. Gita, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. I, I love that introduction from Kirsten. I was like, who's that? <laughs> I was like, oh, can't wait to gosh. hear this person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want to meet her. <laughs> oh, Gita, you know, we talk so much about purpose driven leadership, you know, in companies and organizations. But what do you feel from a personal purpose that you're leading these days? And what do you feel like your purpose is that's driving your work? It's interesting because people used to say, let's talk about your purpose. And I, I kind of, I have a very rich spiritual life, but I would still roll my eyes at that. I was like, I don't know. That felt very navel gazing because I'm British and you just don't, you know. Where are your feelings on your sleeve? Finding your purpose is something that I, I, I honestly really never spent a lot of time thinking about. I thought spirituality was spirituality. My purpose was my purpose. And I was here to do, to be of service and just kind of get on with it. And that's what my goal was. Um, but um, about three, four weeks ago, I was talking to somebody and I kind of had this flash of illumination. And honestly, I think my purpose is to stand in the middle of a river that is going in a direction I don't like. And I think is wrong. And I think it's unfair and it shouldn't be happening. And I like to stand in the middle of that river and go, no. And the river's like, what do you mean? No. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want you to flow this way. And the river's like, but this is what we're doing. And I'm like, I don't care. I think you should flow that way. Because if you flow that way, it would be better for humanity. It would be better for women. It would be better for children. It'd be better for all of us. And then the river tends to slap me around a little bit because it's kind of like, well, you know, really? Well, who are you to do don't, this? Don't you know I'm the river here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, I'm the man. And so yeah. why on earth are you, are you, are, are you doing this? And then um, but I've had a lot of success in doing that over, over most of my adult life. I've, I've had a lot of success in going, nah, this way, and then forcing the river to change course. And it turns out I actually quite like that. I, I've decided that's a purpose. And then the purpose changes as I've gone through different things. That's why I probably don't think there's one purpose. I just want to make the world better for children. And the way to make it better for children is for me to make it better for women. Yeah, mm -hmm. so strong. You know, and even with that kind of strong purpose, uh, driven leadership. You know, we as leaders often question ourselves, you know, why, why me? I'm too tired today. Why do I have to go to work today? <laughs> you know, to yes. This river turn around. What, what sort of questions 
do you find yourself asking, but also you know, the leaders that uh, you work with? What, what are we questioning I, I, ourselves about? Yeah, I find that, you know, I have my clients range from uh, I have a couple of presidents as clients. I have um, had some extremely famous household names. And then I have your average uh, like CEO that runs a company. And um, and I think for all of us, there's a there's a there's this concept of am I doing it right? Should I be doing this? Should I be getting paid this much to do this? Should I be getting paid anything to do this? Should I just be a service? Why me? What, should it be someone else? And I think these are things that are human. And I think as humans, and, and, and then particularly as women, it'll be like, there is probably somebody who could do this better than me. Mm -hmm. Until they turn up, I'll just keep doing this. And then when they turn up, they can take over, right? And then they never turn up and it's you. As you're speaking, I'm reminded of one of the first conversations you and I had, and I think we met last year in the height of, you know, round 10 of COVID, right? <laughs> and you asked, you know, do I have to forego Gucci to be able to live a life of service, right? And that was, of course, that was, you know, just um, metaphoric, but it was intent and purposeful. And I love that conversation that we have, right? That, that idea that we can have profits and purpose simultaneously. Would you speak a little bit to that? Because to your point, I think, you know, I, I don't think it's just women. I think anybody who wants to live more of an altruistic being, we haven't really been taught that we can have profits and purpose simultaneously do good, but still live well. Yes, and, and I remember that conversation very well, actually, because when, when you say it wasn't Gucci, literally, you're wrong. It literally was. <laughs> Bro, That's that was right. literally yeah. Okay, it really was. <laughs> I, I remember. Um, I love, you, the audience can see Mark is crying yeah, over I there. Do, I do. Yeah, I thought no, I, it was Chanel. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I don't, that was going to, I was going to go and Chanel and Balenciaga. And so my theory is that because I've been very rich and then I did my whole dark night of the soul, which didn't last for one freaking night. It lasted for a few years. And I ended up homeless with three small children and nowhere to live. And we, you know, we lived off 10 pounds a day, 14 pounds a day, having lived in this incredibly uh, amazing life. And I have rebuilt that from nothing. And what that taught me was it gave me the very great privilege of understanding exactly who I am. And I often say that that was a, the biggest blessing because not everybody knows exactly who they are when their back's against the wall. I do. And my theory is this, I am absolutely committed. I will stand in front of that river. I will support you. I will love you. I will do everything for you. And you better believe I'm doing that while I'm wearing Gucci, I'm dressed in Chanel, my lipstick is Dior, and I see no dichotomy. There's no problem for me in that space. Why should I not? I'm the person that the first time I had meditations and I was like, they were like, sign your soul contract. I'm like, do I still get rich? <laughs> you know, I'm literally, I'm literally that person. And there were angels in my head going, do you dare to argue with God? And I'm like, I'm not arguing as much as clarifying. <laughs> I have been in meditation groups with well-dressed people, so I don't think it's mutually <laughs> exclusive. <laughs> but it's know, a commitment to frivolity, I think. Well, yes. Uh, Gita, I was curious. I mean, some of these, uh, I guess, thoughts, practices, and approaches, they do seem a little different from what one might expect from someone who studied law and business and <laughs> economics and political science, you know, to, to have this mindset. Um, what, what do you account for that? Where, where's been the growth or the shift 
for you? Or I guess the addition, it doesn't have to be a change, but maybe it added on. I think the thing is that, I mean, that's a really good question. I think for me, what it was, was I grew up extremely wealthy and powerless. I was told to smile, you know, go off and be a doctor, lawyer, accountant, or married, or both, or all of them, really. Mm -hmm. And I don't like blood, and I really can't add up. So I thought I'd just stick with law, and I'm terrible at marriage. <laughs> and so that took me down that road. Um, and I think that, that what happened is when we ended up homeless, I remember, God bless my ex, who completely cleaned out all our bank accounts. Um, he said, if you want this money, you should just come back to me. And I bless him to this day because it annoyed me so freaking much. I thought, sod off, I'm going to do it myself and I don't need you to do this with me. And it was just the blessing, honestly, of a lifetime because that annoyance, that anger, because he said, if you need you, if our children are going to have a great lifestyle, it has to be through me. And I thought, no, my children can have a great lifestyle through me. And I knew what that looked like. I knew how much money I needed. And I was like, how do I make that? It never occurred to me to not make that and not give them that lifestyle. Does that answer the question? I just oh, didn't. Certainly. I was just like, I wanted to be like this way. Mm -hmm. And then you've dedicated a lot of your time and business to uh, developing future leaders. You're also, yes. In addition to your business, you're involved in a number of nonprofit organizations. Yes, I laugh. I always say I have three, three silos. One is what I do for a living. One is all the public work that I public, semi-public speaking and whatever. And then the third one is the not paid, but takes up huge amounts of time work. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm chair of the Montessori group and I'm chair of Microloan um, Development Group. And I'd love to hear more about the Microloan Foundation and how, how it contributes to this leadership development that we've been talking about. Some people might see it as only a financial transaction kind of thing, but I think it's a lot more than that from an empowerment standpoint, isn't it? It really is. But also, it, let me just say this, that people think when people are poor, it's somehow their fault. And I, having been incredibly rich and incredibly poor, and I do prefer the rich, I can hereby just absolutely confirm and affirm to you that poverty sucks and it's not your fault. So if you give somebody a helping hand, they will lift themselves out of poverty as fast as they humanly can. And statistically, if you give women money, they will use that money. This is research. It's proven they will use that money to improve their families' lives, educate their children, feed their children, house and clothe their children. So we've taken this idea and the Microloan Foundation lends tiny loans, microloans, 25 pounds to 44 pounds to women in some of the poorest countries in the world. So it, we lend in um, sub-Saharan Africa. So Zambia, Malawi, Zimbabwe, and we go from country to country building across a network. And we lend these women money. And, and what they do is honestly, it's a 99% repayment rate. And they, these, are, these are women that, that, let me explain as an idea, right? Just to make it real, because this sounds like a charity. But in fact, what happens is we had this one woman, Magda. So when we gave her the 30 pounds that she wanted to borrow, we then taught her how to run a business. We teach them in song how to set up businesses. And so what she did is she bought a pot, fire, milk, sugar, and she bought cups and she set up a little tea station outside on the corner of this busy, busy junction. And she sold tea to people. So they bought tea and she used that to repay her loan. She came back for a second loan. This time it was 44 pounds. She took that loan and built a tea hut. And then she gave them cake and she gave them tea. And then, so I think the last time I checked with Magda, Magda was on her third or her fourth loan. She was now finding places to actually buy the wheat to make her own cake. Now, how insanely amazing is that? 
Mm-hmm. There's somebody who could be written off as just being poor and, and imagery of in the media of some poor black woman who can't do anything in her life. And we've just shown that's not at all true. Mm. So what's not lost on me, and that's an incredible story. I don't think there's a country out there that can really benefit from what you just shared. What do you find, I mean, Western civilization or, you know, really has um, a huge gap in disparity in their policies, right? In their, even their economic policies, there's the haves and the have nots, and it's very separate, has been from the beginning of time. How, what do you see as necessary to occur both economically and from governmental policies that can really begin to shape um, the awareness and support in that direction? I mean, again, a really good question. The thing is, is that we just don't understand how many children grow up in absolute poverty in our worlds. We think because we're in the West, we're immune. We're not. If you look down the street, there is a child that just doesn't have enough to eat. That outside of school meals is eating out of a dustbin maybe once a day in our lives, in England, in Europe, in America. You know, so if the solution to this is, is that if we thought of ourselves as a community, if we thought of ourselves as one people, we would never think that what we had should not be given to feed a child. Like if you look at what's happening in Ukraine now, what we've done is it's been the most interesting experience. I think Putin's biggest miscalculation was to understand the pandemic created us into a global community. Mm -hmm. And we're responding as a global community to this tragedy. So I think that the more that we can go towards understanding that we are all a community, that what happens to me will ultimately happen to you on some level, that is a very, very important part. It doesn't mean I shouldn't be rich. Please, let's not take away my Dior. Remember how much I want that Chanel? (laughs) But it doesn't mean I have to stand on your poor, broken, starving back to get it. There is more than enough if it's not hoarded. The second thing is if we stop being run by corporations, then we will have compassion. Those are not two things that go together. Corporations and compassion do not go together because they hide behind, speaking as an ex-corporate attorney, they hide behind the veil of our job is just for our shareholders. No, if you take resources from the earth, if you live in our communities, your obligation is to us as a people and us as a community and us as the earth. If we can put those two ideas together, we would change everything and we would change it so fast our heads would spin. Well, and Gita, in your story, you also showed what a small investment can do. Yes. You know, it doesn't have to be a sea change, uh, but you can start with, you know, that sort of one drop of community. Yes. Why are we doing my, I remember this when I was asked to join some extremely funky, very famous charity, and they wanted me to go and help poor people in India. I'm like, can I help the poor child down the road? Why am I going to India? Seriously, let me help the person down the road. Then I'll go to India. So why are we making microloans in Africa? Because it's okay to give microloans to people that look poorer than us. But honestly, we should be doing that in our own, literally in our own backyards. Mm-hmm. And, I really love that you say that. You know, equally, we've been talking about the kids in your work with the Montessori Foundation. Yes. And I guess the, you know, the idea of kids expressing their creativity, but also finding that community in their schoolwork. Yeah, I mean, and the concept um, uh, around Montessori is that we 
teach children to grow at their own pace so that they don't feel wrong for not growing at someone else's pace. And what that does as humans, we know this, right? It creates strong and stable children. Not only that, what we've done with the, the charity Montessori that I'm chair of in our, our, you know, here in Europe, is we've then really decided that we are also the voice for these children. So as part of the Ukraine crisis, what we've done is become the, the voice to create models of how to educate refugee children. Because when you've had a refugee child, the chances of that child repeating that trauma in their life is so high. So we're literally now in the last 10 days, we've been putting in place education establishments across places like Croatia, where refugees are flooding in to immediately pick up the refugee children saying, here's the school, here's a way for you to feel safe here's a place for you to matter here's a community and in, in putting Montessori into those values it is such an insanely fantastic system honestly I think this is all about life when I felt confident when I'm weak I resent your power when I'm powerful I I applaud your power I enjoy your power mm. and I, I I flourish with your power I shine from it so if we can take these children and make them confident then they will grow up into powerful humans, which will, and that will change our world, right? So strong. Well, before we close, Gita, I want to make sure that you know you've shared so much about your work. I want to be sure our listeners can find you and connect with you and learn more about your work. So um, the website is noshdetox.com. Um, and you have there, there's we have lots of ideas there for how you can actually you can download loads of stuff on understanding how to feel better to, to focus and to do everything with your body. Um, Instagram is somewhere I hang out a lot, so it's Gita Siru Rob on Instagram. I know, I know, this is somewhere I swore I would never go. Um, so anywhere that you can put in Gita Siru or Gita Siru Rob, I'm on most places except Twitter. I am allergic to Twitter. <laughs> Otherwise, please feel free to reach out everywhere. I would love to hear from you. Yes, definitely take advantage of Gita's offer there because uh, she's a great person to connect with. I guess as we close, Gita, going back to the beginning of our discussion about standing in that river, you know, and as you think ahead, what challenges are you preparing yourself for? The river is going to keep coming. It's not going to stop. Uh, oh, are you thinking but... ahead and, you know, what are you, what are you doing to build that, for, you know, strength and confidence for yourself to take on those future challenges. To make me more strong and confident. Yes. I, I'm a big believer that everything, all the work has to start from me. And um, I, I work incredibly hard to, to try and find out where I'm stuck and to try and fix it as soon as I can find out where it is. And I, by that, I mean, I will be either in a, the doldrums or struggling or whatever. And I'll think, who knows how to get me out of this? I'll hunt them down. I've been known to stand next to someone in a bar and I wasn't even drinking until they agreed to work with me. Like, I won't go anywhere. I'm like, no, 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 you really, no, 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 I really need you. And they're like, I don't care. I'm like, no, 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 you really care. <laughs> so <laughs> my theory is anywhere I'm stuck, how fast can I move on from there? Because I'm going to have to move anyway, right? Change is inevitable and suffering is totally optional. So my theory is that I am constantly working on myself because I am the biggest impediment to my growth and to whichever river I'm trying to move. Perfect. Kirsten, this, uh, these lessons that we're getting from Gita today, you've, you've heard so many leaders that you work with express some of this sort of fortitude and strength. What lessons can we take away from Gita today? 
Mm, that's a hard one to say because I know her personally, right? So I have a yes. million I want to share on her behalf that have not been shared beyond. So, yeah. well, just, Gita, you were one of those people that we just stood next to for a year until you agreed to talk to us. So. Right? That one. <laughs> Go for it, Kirsten. I'd love to hear what you would say. <laughs> I just, you know, and it's interesting because I think, and Gita, Mark, you know this, we work with people, we work alongside people. We see everything that they are because sometimes life creates the illusion of what we are not or what's, you know, walking through what feels insurmountable, right? And, you know, the one of the things I'm struck the most by with you is your ability to go, like you are the river, right? Which is probably why you're able to stand in the middle of it, right? You have such a fluid aptitude then enables you to take on very large, large objectives that help others, right? Sometimes even at the risk of losing what we want to hold on to so dearly, which is security, right? Which is an illusion anyway. But that takes an incredible amount of courage and fortitude. And the leaders I know that have really continued moving have really fallen in that river more times than we wish to count. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, I don't know. I've eaten, I've eaten stuff in those rivers, you know, where I've just been yeah. knocked down, but yet it's that getting back up and coming back even bigger than when you started. I, that's one of the areas that I admire the most. And I also really love your passion for women, right. And the change while loving the men, while loving the men. And that's powerful. Because that's what our new world calls for. And it's really brilliant to watch. Thank you. Oh, yeah, great, I don't think that we're blaming men, men helps yeah. us in mm -hmm. any way. And I don't yeah. think that we should. I think we all show up to do our best. Um, and, and when we feel good, men feel good. Well, Gita, we can't thank you enough for coming on our program. We really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much for having me. That was so much fun. Yeah. So our guest has been Gita Siju Rob. Her website is Nash Detox. Dot com. So go on over and visit and learn more about Gita and her work. And listeners, come back again next time. Kirsten and I are continuing these conversations with conscious leaders who are looking for higher purpose, their souls calling, their full human potential. And we've heard not only Gita's own story, but her story of some of the people taking microloans to express their purpose and reach their potential. And it's all very inspiring and encouraging to learn from our leaders' experiences, their attitudes, and their practices. So join us again next time for IntelliKey Leadership Stories. For Kirsten Goldie, I'm Mark Stenson, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories with Kirsten Goldie and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn and visit our website, pureintellikey.com. I'm Jared Kajak. Join us again for our next episode of IntelliKey Leadership Stories. This podcast is produced by BSB Media. We also host two other podcasts you might enjoy, Unlocking Your World of Creativity and Five Minutes of Peace. Subscribe today and leave a review on your favorite podcast player.